0: The reading this morning is from the book of Genesis. It's one of God's encounters with Abraham. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will make you exceedingly numerous. That's 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 quite a message for a 99-year-old and and his 90-something-year-old bride. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, as for me... This is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall give rise to nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of the great 20th century theologians from Germany. And he wrote a magnificent piece, a great existential piece from prison during World War II. It is entitled, Who Am I? Who am I? Who am I? They often tell me I come out of my cell calmly, cheerfully, resolutely, like a lord from his palace. Who am I? They often tell me I used to speak to my warders freely and friendly and clearly. As though it were mine to command Who am I? They also tell me I carried the days of misfortune, smilingly, proudly, like one who is used to winning. Am I really then what others say of me? Or am I more of what I say to myself? Restless, melancholic, And ill like a caged bird, struggling for breath, as if hands clasped my throat, hungry for colors, for flowers, for the songs of birds, thirsty for friendly words and human kindness, shaking with anger at fate and at the smallest sickness, Trembling for friends at an infinite distance. Tired and empty at praying, thinking, doing. Drained and ready to say goodbye. Who am I? Am I this or the other? Am I one person today and another person tomorrow? Am I both at once in front of others a hypocrite and to myself a contemptible fretting weakling? Or is something still in me like a battered army running in disorder from a victory already achieved? Who am I? These questions mock me. Whoever I am, you know me. I am yours, O oh God. I think I've always found that piece haunting. Just the question Who am I? What actually is the deepest source of my identity as a person? Do I even know the answer to that question? Who or what is the deepest source of my identity? Is there actually anything more from one day to the next beyond my notions of myself? Something more that anchors and directs and gives me hope. What we know for sure in that particular poem is that Bonhoeffer is wrestling, as most of us do, with the reality of conflicting thoughts and feelings. Am I more than the roller coaster Of how I feel or pretend to feel at any given moment. Is there something else to belong to? Do I belong to a higher purpose? A higher being? And and that's interesting because so many of the great thinkers throughout history have answered that question in a very particular way. St. Augustine is famous for saying, I am restless God until I find my rest in you. Or if you don't have an appetite for the church fathers. I love what Carl Jung once said, each one of us, every one of us must find a transcendent function If we are ever to discover wholeness. I'm thinking about all this and I I remembered vividly the summer that I spent in Israel back in 1982. I got very, very close that summer to an Israeli family and spent a bunch of time with them. On a bunch of occasions, I I would spend Shabbat with them, the celebration that they would have on Saturday nights. And there's one conversation that is seared into my memory. And I I asked the mother of the family, the matriarch, why they continued to celebrate Shabbat in a traditional way. And here's what she said. One must always remember what God has done. Freeing us from ourselves. Freeing us from slavery. Freeing us from hatred. And providing for us a place to call home. That is God's hand in history, and it is our promise to remember. That's a very, very thoughtful statement. It is our promise to remember. What God has done and is doing in our lives. And I remembered even then, I was only 22, and I asked myself, well, what, what promises do I hold sacred? Am I really conscious from one day to the next what God has done in my life? And do, do I make a ritual practice of remembering? Because she is saying, the Israeli woman is saying, I don't know who I am. If I don't remember. I don't know who I am. So today's text in the book of Genesis is interesting. Abraham and Sarah are, are very old. They're in their 90s and God has apparently spoken to them already. This is a third and a sequence of big themes revisited. But here's the statement. I am making a covenant with you. Now, covenant's an interesting word. It's got layers of meaning, but, but what covenant really means mostly is promise. I'm making a promise. I'm going to be your god. You do not need other gods. You you don't need to follow the the whims of countless other gods. And and we all know there's lots of gods. all sorts of gods, pleasure, success. And what's being said there? None of those gods are invested in you. Not a single one of those gods is invested in you. They are random and fleeting in their desires. But God God says something else, I think, in this text, something more. God's not asking for people like us to be faithful just to be faithful. God goes on to say, I have a singular desire for you. I want you to flourish. I want you, I want every one of you to flourish not flounder, flourish. I want each and every one of you to have as full a life as you can possibly have in any given moment. I want you to have children to care for. I want you to have gardens to plant. I want you to have opportunities to learn and grow, prosper, I will be with you in this endeavor. Even in suffering, I will not leave you. I will create alongside of you. I will work for your well-being. Do your part and I will do my part. I promise. Life has so much inherent goodness. And there's a choice right there. To believe that's true or to believe something else is true. Makes me think of Rainer Rilke's famous poem called The Promise. He said, promises live in the realm of possibility. Where dreams are born and hope resides. With every promise we make, we create a bridge Connecting the present to an unknown future. And who doesn't want to live there? Who wouldn't want to live right there on that bridge? So here we are, we're sitting in church, and we get to ask ourselves. What promises have you made? And what promises shape your life? What, what promises define who you are and how you show up and what you work for? And what we're led to believe when we come to a place like this is that our, our, our promises matter. They mean something. The promises we make have great value. They have the ability to create, to to manifest our best intentions. Carl Young reminds us if, if we work in that way, we can have greater wholeness in our lives. Here's the big yet. Tons of social scientists are telling us that we resist the idea of entering covenant relationships. We resist the idea of entering into the kinds of promises that are binding. One social scientist writes this, we have strayed from the idea of making lasting promises. We tend to keep promises as long as they work for us. As long as we perceive that those promises meet our needs. She goes on to say, an even greater risk is to make no promises at all, only to follow the whims of individual aspirations, feelings, and moods. Unknowingly, she says, this creates a world of unintended narcissism. I am the captain of my own ship, and I will find my own way. So as I wrote the sermon, I found myself wondering, is that true? Is it true that we are living in a society or a culture like that? Is it true that we resist lasting promises, a transcendent function? I don't know for sure. It, it seems like it's true. But it had me thinking a lot over the last few days. And it's interesting where it took me. It took me to my failed marriage. Now, failed marriage is a loaded topic in places where that's happened a lot. Marriages fail for many reasons. And I'm not standing here today suggesting that people stay married when the marriage has become toxic or too damaged to restore. But in my case, my orientation to marriage lacked a covenant understanding of relationship. It didn't really occur to me that my primary purpose was to commit to my wife's well being. It didn't occur to me that my primary purpose was to do everything I could to see that she flourished. You know what occurred to me? That I needed to hang in there from one day to the next and hope for the best. So as I think about covenant relationships, what I think is that my approach, particularly in that case, was shallow and short-sighted. And in the end, my approach caused a lot of damage. Now, a confession like that could activate some people. And that's not my intention. My only intention today is to have all of us consider where do promises live in our lives? Do we keep a promise to God? Are we faithful to that promise? Have we made a promise to ourselves, to to the honest well-being of ourselves? Do we have a clear promise to those closest to us to work generously for their well-being? Is it a priority for us that the people closest to us would have every opportunity to feel loved in whatever circumstances they're dealing with. Is that in our minds? Is that our intention? You know who's my inspiration these days? Edward Scott. You're my inspiration these days. As many of you know, Mariette is battling lymphoma. And Edward is all in with his beloved wife of more than 30 years. He is tending to her. He is at her side. He checks on her. He is close to her, whether she's home or in the hospital. Would Edward describe that as the burden of responsibility? I don't know. I think he would describe it as the burden of love. Because, it, because it's the promise that he made in the presence of God and other witnesses. Who am I? Who are you? Bonhoeffer asks. The answer he gives is I am yours, O oh God. An invitation for all of us. And the world is made better. And our relationships are surely made better. when the answer comes home to us. May we seek the flourishing of self. May we seek the flourishing of those closest to us. And when flourishing is not possible, well-being is always possible. May it be so. Amen.